Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. Sometimes it can be hard to make sense of the Christian life. When you start thinking about maybe all the things that you've heard about it, maybe if you've been in church, the sermons, the lessons, the things people have talked about and said, uh, the uh, things maybe read in the Bible or you've heard somewhere, we got to figure that out, don't we? And sometimes in your life, there's feedback. <laughs> Seriously, that you don't quite know, you know what to make of it. Where's it coming from? And so we're trying to make sense of the Christian life, and you start thinking about, okay, what's it about, and how do we live it? You know, uh, Jesus said uh, that we are blessed when we're poor, poor in spirit, and and uh, you know when we suffer. Somehow that's a good thing. Uh, then he, he tells us that um, thinking about sinning is sinning, right? When our, when our hearts aren't lined up, that that is sin. And, and so we, we aren't supposed to go there. We need to do something different there. Uh, the Bible tells us that the Bible has all of the answers, and it's a huge book. And sometimes we aren't sure what the questions are. And we go on through, and then the claims of Christ, I mean, you know, he comes to uh, who we know as the apostles and says to them, follow me. And they get up and leave all their stuff and go. And then he comes to another man, another man talking to him, and he tells the other man, you've got to sell everything you have and follow me. And he even says, hey, if it comes down to your family or me, you choose me. Let your family think you hate them. That's a pretty big stuff, isn't it? And that your whole life is to be about him. Uh, your, your work should be about him. Your friendships should be about him. Your, your, uh, everything that you do and how you do it. And then there's this, all these things that he says we ought not to be doing, all the things we need to be removing from our lives that in the natural culture out here, they would say, why remove them? And then there's all these things you're supposed to add to your life, things you're supposed to do, things you're supposed to change on the inside, and on and on it goes, all of these claims. And so you're trying to make sense of it. And by the way, this isn't just for people who are outside the church that might be trying to make sense of it. Sometimes it's us who are in the church. And we're, you know, it's, it's, it's a working hard. I mean, let's face it. If you come to church 50 weeks out of the year, and, and you you hear a sermon where we tell you to do something, you stick around for the Bible lesson, and you pick up two or three things there, and then you come on Wednesday night, and you pick up another two or three things there. You know, we're looking at what? Two or three hundred things every year. How, how are you going to do it? Do you want to do it? You know, sometimes that's where it comes down to. We find ourselves saying, man, do I really want to do this? Is it really worth it? And we think, how, how can we make sense of this? It's so many pieces and trying to figure out how they all go together. It's kind of like this. And if you could, uh, Jess, give me the keyboard here. Turn the keyboard on, if you would. And it's kind of like this. How does that sound? You learned to play like that when you were two years old, right? We say, isn't there something that can bring, make some sense of this? And, and there is, okay? If we can look at the music 
and, and begin to follow the notes and, and realize there's timing that goes in the notes and all these things, we realize that this is actually this. Right? But when we don't understand, it's that. And that's the way our Christian life can be. It can sound like that dissonance. And in our soul, we have this. So what can make sense of the kind of life we're talking about, a fully devoted Christian life? What would make that work? Well, when we think about life in general, we're thinking about people who live radical lives, not just as Christians, but in general, they live radical lives, and you look at them. Uh, how many of you remember Michael Phelps, the swimmer, who in 2008 won six gold medals, 2012 won eight gold medals, setting the world record for you know, Olympic gold medals? Um, you read about him. He said he was in the pool for 20 years, more than 20 years, really, to get to that point. Um, his daily regimen would be to get up early and go and spend two hours working hard in the pool and then go and lift weights for another hour and then eat, okay? He was eating 12,000 calories a day. Now for breakfast, he, he would have uh, three fried egg sandwiches. He'd have a five egg omelet. He had grits. He had uh, uh, chocolate chip pancakes and uh, French toast covered with some kind of icing uh, and a number of other things. I mean, and then he, did, he ate like that three times a day. Um, he ate more in one meal than you and I should probably eat in two days. Uh, but he had to do that. But that's out of the ordinary, isn't it? Okay? He had to do that. And then he went back to the pool and swam another two hours and then did whatever other things he had to do related to what he was doing. And then two more hours in the pool. And then, you know, go to bed at night and get up and do it all again tomorrow. And I know it didn't all start there, but, but for over 20 years, he did that. Is it safe to say that swimming was his life? <laughs> yeah. Swimming was his life. And so on the face, if you saw somebody doing this, you would say, why are you doing this? Why, why are you going back to the pool? Why, why are you eating so much? All this, what's going on with this in your life? Why don't you go do something fun? We'd say, oh, okay, wait, now it makes sense, right? Because swimming was his life, and that's where he was headed and what he was doing. So, oh, we, we okay, that clicks in. But most of us aren't going to be there in life. But I think we can understand this. This gets a little bit closer to home. Have you ever known a grandmother that when you looked at her, you might say, hmm, her grandkids are her lie? I, I tell you what, I'm not sure that my, my adult children who have children will come back to my house next Christmas. I'm really just joking, but the point is, is grandma shopped all year for those kids. You know what I'm talking about? All the, every, you know, she, where she's going out, she's doing her own shopping, and then she sees something, oh, Rachel would like that. And then, oh no, we can't just buy one of these. Hmm. Some of you, it might be true of you, or it might be true of some of you know, that you can say their work is their life, their career, that's their life. And, and so they make all these choices because of that. Uh, I'm sure we could find some football coaches uh, within about 50 miles who would say, football is my life. 
and it governs everything else. So we kind of get this idea that if something is your life, then other things start to make sense. We, we at least understand how they work and, and what's going on there. And so if we think about the Christian life this way, and I'm not sure this is right at this point, okay? But if we think about the Christian life this way, we could say that a fully devoted Christian life only makes sense if Christ is my life, right? Otherwise, all those things wouldn't make sense. It makes sense, at least if we think of this analogy to like these athletes or the other things we talked about, we make sense if, okay, this is my life, and so I put these things all in order. But I'm not sure that that's really the answer. I'll tell you why. Well, actually, the Bible's going to tell us why in just a little bit. But I want you to think about this. Um, have you followed Michael Phelps in the news at all? What's happened to him in the last couple of years? He's really come on some hard times, hasn't he? I mean, you know, it goes along with, I mean, because what he did is this was his life. And he reached the pinnacle. And it didn't do what he thought it would do. Hmm. And I think there are people who have determined that I'm going to make Christ my life and go out and work like that and they reach some place and all of a sudden they say, this didn't do what I thought it would do. And they're left trying to make sense of the Christian life still. You see, there's a mistake when we think about the Christian life this way. And let's look in our Bibles uh, in the book of Colossians. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'd encourage you to, to pick up the one in the pew there and turn to page 1,354. One thousand three hundred fifty-four. Let's start in, um, actually, I think the screen will say Colossians 3, 1 through 4, but let's look at verse 5. Let's start in verse 5, okay? Thinking about this idea of, you know, I'm going to make Christ my life and then I'm going to put everything in place. And, and we, we get this kind of a list in verse number five. He says, okay, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, which is sexual immorality, uncleanness, passion. He's talking about evil passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So greed, get that out of your life. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. So some more things. Make changes in your life here. If, if, you, if you want Christ to be your life, get rid of the anger, get rid of the wrath, the malice, the blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds and then have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. Okay, so get rid of all that stuff because you're a Christian and you want Christ to be your life. Verse 12, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on some things, add some things to your life, add tender mercies, add kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. 
And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So you've got to get the word in there. Teach, admonish, and sing, worship together, and everything, give thanks. It's about Jesus, right? Christ is your life. If, Christ, if you're going to make Christ your life, this is one list in the Bible. How many other lists are there? I don't know. But you see, it is a problem. And we are mistaken when we think we need to decide to make Christ our life and then pattern our lives as Christians with all these things to try to make that a reality for us. We really miss the point. So let's go back and read the first four verses because here's in the center of this book, this letter of Paul to the Christians of Colossae, he, he tells us something that changes everything. He says, if then, verse number one, if then you were raised with Christ. All right, now when he says raised with Christ, we've got to understand, and if you're new to this, this you know, you'll say, what? So let me just, just take just a moment and explain to you. We, we've, I think we probably all know that the Bible teaches that Jesus died on the cross. And as he died on the cross, the Bible says he paid the penalty for our sins, all of the sins we would ever commit. He paid the penalty so we wouldn't have to. Then three days later, he rose from the dead. Well, the Bible tells us that when we understand that and then when we personally place our faith in Christ as Savior, notice, we receive him as Savior, not only is our penalty for sin now paid because he died for us, the Bible says that somehow we are now connected with him in his death. And we are connected with him also in his resurrection. That's where the new life comes. We die to our old ways of living and we get new life from Christ. So when he says, if then you be raised with Christ, he's saying, hey, if you've received Christ as Savior, you've been born again, you've placed your faith in him to, to uh, have forgiveness of sins and receive eternal life. If you've done that, if then you were raised with Christ. And by the way, if you haven't done that, you can you just got to face up to the fact that you have sinned and your sin separates you from God. And then say, oh God, I, I'm going to receive Christ and trust him to provide that forgiveness of sin and give me eternal life. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Okay, so if you were raised with Christ and you have a new life with Christ, start focusing on different things than you did before. This still kind of sounds like, though, Christ is my life. Okay, now i got to pattern everything to, to make it be, right? He continues, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Okay, we get that, right? Focus your attention on spiritual things. Verse number three, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we said that. When we got to say what happened to us spiritually on the inside of some other, we got all wrapped up with God, didn't we? Earlier, when, when uh, after we sang and I, or I prayed before we continued to sing, uh, I felt impressed by the Lord to, to thank him that once we receive Christ as Savior, our relationship with him is never in jeopardy again, is it? Never, ever again. It's hidden with him. He's got it. Our life belongs to him. 
Oh, such good news. And then he says this in verse number four. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we got something to look forward to. There is a day coming, whether we're still alive or whether we've passed on already, there's a day coming when Jesus is going to return and you and I are going to be glorified. We're going to be changed. All the junk that you deal with now physically, all the struggles in your soul, your heart, your mind, all of the problems with sin that we just, so many times, you know, it so easily besets us, as the Bible says, all that stuff, gone, and we'll be glorified. Really good news. But there's a phrase here. Right there in verse number four that is key to being able to make sense of the Christian life and being able to live it. He says, when Christ, who is our life. He doesn't say, and by the way, The Holy Spirit's the one who led Paul to write these words, okay? So these are words that God wants us to hear and understand. God chose them purposefully. He did not say, when Christ, who you are making your life. You get where I'm going with this? He didn't say, make Christ your life, and then when he appears, you will. No, he says, when Christ... Say it with me. Who is our life? In fact, in the Greek language, they know it's even more literal than that. If, if in your Bible, if your, your words, who and is, are italicized, it's because they aren't in the original language when Paul wrote it. He said, Christ, our life. Now, so what's the point, Walt? Well, the point is this. If you are trying to somehow or rather make sense of the Christian life, and you're going to say, the only way I can do that, the only way this, this kind of life we're talking about makes sense is if you're going to be like that professional athlete or somebody who's just, you know, they're making Christ their life, and, and then i got to do this and do that. And, and the other thing, if that is the way you're approaching the Christian life, it's not going to work. At best, you will arrive someplace down the line and, and, and feel like something's missing. Because the Bible never tells us to go, oh, you have an option today. Why don't you make Christ your life? The Holy Spirit led Paul to write, Christ who is our life. Now that's a big, big difference. Do you understand the difference? One is that just like like uh, uh, Michael Phelps, who had this goal out here, and, and you know the, the, the gold medals and the world records, and he had all of that out there, and he patterned everything in his life to make it. Do you understand? It was out there, wasn't it? It was out there somewhere, and he was trying to do stuff to get there. And if you and I face our, do our Christian life like that, it's never going to work. Oh, it's it's out there. Christ is my life. I'm going to something out there. I got to go for. No, God tells us here, Christ is our life. Well, what does that mean? Well, we think of life, we think of obviously standing and breathing today, right? Are all of you alive here today? You sure? Well, that's a good thing, okay? All right, so we we think of that, 
But when we also think about life and, and something being our life, we think about more than that. We think about where are we getting our satisfaction from, right? Where, what, what is motivating us to live? What, um, is, what is it that makes us significant? What is it that makes my life matter and your life matter? What is it that will make me feel loved and secure and safe to where I can do whatever I need to do? Well, if it's something out there, man, it's always a risk, isn't it? Maybe I haven't done enough to get it. Maybe I'm not committed enough. Maybe it won't even be what I think it's going to be. But as Christians, Christ already is our life. The moment I received Christ as Savior, April 4th, 1975, about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, at that very moment, Christ became my life. And the difference is, rather than trying to somehow rather make that a reality, I start with the fact that it already is. That means I already have, as a Christian, I already have everything I need to have a life that matters, a life that's safe and secure, a life that can make a difference forever. I already have that. It's already mine. It's not something I'm always trying to, you know, climb up to and somehow, somehow make it up there. No, I already have that. And the lie is that you don't. And the lie is, that so here, here it is. So if I have now Christ, Christ is my life. That's, the, the Bible says it. So is it true? It's true. May not yet, I don't, maybe I don't understand it yet. Maybe you don't understand it yet. But it is true. If Christ is my life, that means I'm deceived when I go think that something else is going to satisfy my soul. See, this is where sin comes in. Every temptation to sin is telling you what you have in Christ, that Christ is your life. It's not enough, see? and tries to pull you away. You're not starting out here and trying to get there. It's already true inside you. And so we need to begin to believe what God says that he is my life. Now, if he is my life, how do I live? Hmm. Because here's the deal. If I think that I have to somehow rather make Christ my life, okay, what do I got to do to that? What do I got to do to get there? I got to read my Bible? Yeah, I got to read my Bible. How much? I don't know, but it better be a lot, right? Do I need to pray? If I'm going to make Christ my life, do I need to pray? When have I prayed enough? I don't know. I got to do good deeds. How many good deeds? How big a deal do they have to be? I need to give some money. How much? Right? You take credit cards? <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? But, if I start with Christ is my life, he is my life, and I go, next let me demonstrate. So wait, wait, you're saying Christ is my life? He is my life? You get it? 
And that's where we start. Wow, Christ is my life. I want to learn some more about this. I want to know him better. I think I'll open up my Bible. I want to live, I want his life to flow through me. What was he like? What's that going to look like? What am I going to do? I, I need to pray. I want to pray. I want to talk to this one who's my life. But we're operating from a totally different place. And then sin, rather than knocking us down and pulling us away from Christ, all, I mean, what it is, it's, it's just living a lie. And we say, wait a minute, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? <laughs> this is a counterfeit. I'm coming back to what is really mine. This life that I really, really have. So, when we think about the Christian life, and we, we start off that list, remember all the things that go into being a Christian, a committed Christian, a fully devoted Christian? And, and so we had our statement. Uh, yeah, actually, if you could go back a couple slides there, John. One more. All right. So this is what he said, a fully devoted Christian life only makes sense if Christ is my life. And that's what we're talking about. I'm going to make Christ my life, just like these people, right? But here's the truth. Go on to the next slide. Go on, yep. Here we go. Here's the way we need to look at it. Since Christ is my life, a fully devoted Christian life is the only life that makes sense. If Christ is really my life, then all these things start to make sense. Nothing else makes sense. Why? I heard a preacher yesterday talk about, he says, what would you, what would you think about someone who said, okay, you're going to get all Bill Gates' money. Anybody, would anybody take all Bill Gates' money? I'd take it. Sign me up. All right, you've got all of Bill Gates' money. Oh, okay, but I'm not happy yet. I, I want a music stand. What would you think about that person? <laughs> right? But that's what we do. We have Christ. He is our life. The God of the universe has come to dwell within us and He is now our life, our all in all. He is our everything. Oh, but if I could just have a car... Or a girlfriend. Or if I could just have... You get it? But since Christ is my life, then the fully devoted Christian life is the only life that makes sense. And, and this is a little fuzzy, I know. This idea of Christ being my life, I get that. God gets that. But Christ is my life is the issue. And you can go on to that next slide there now. Christ is my life. That's what I need to settle. That's what you need to settle. And by settle, I don't mean you have to somehow make it be so. What I mean is you have to, to say, oh, it is so. It is true. Now, if you were... thinking about your life now, and you're saying, okay, Christ is my life. So if, if Christ is my life, how would I live? Hmm. I got some spare time this afternoon. And Christ is my life. How would someone who's 
crisis their life, how would they live? What choices would they make? How many more stupid television shows do I need to watch if Christ is my life? It starts to affect everything, doesn't it? Starts to affect everything else. When you start thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm headed in this direction. I'm thinking I'm going to find some life here, but no, I've already got the life deep down in my soul here. I'm not going to go there this time. I'm not going to sit down in front of the computer and look at things that aren't good for me. I'm not going to do this in that relationship. I'm not going to spend my money that way. I'm not going to... And no, all the fun isn't gone. But so we need to somehow rather settle that Christ is my life. And like I said, I know that you don't get that totally. I, I've been working on this for a long time and I don't get it completely. But I get it enough that anything else is a counterfeit. Anything else works against me. And so what I wanted you to do is to start pondering this. Praying about it, pondering it. And so here's what I want you to do this week. You listening? This week. How many of you normally stop and pray before you eat? Okay, most of you. If you aren't, I'd encourage you to do it. Okay? Remind yourself that you're not an animal, that God has provided this for you, and thank you, God. What I want you to do is use this for a trigger point. Every time you pray either by yourself or with your family for your meals, and you're not used to doing this part, but I want you to, to stop and say, God, your word says Christ is my life. So Christ is my life. What does it mean? How do I live it? If you, if you, if you look back here in Colossians chapter 3, and if you have it open, fine. If you don't, you don't need to open it. But he says this, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Then he says what? Therefore, work on these things. Because Christ is your life. And so what I want you to do is when you, when you uh, stop and pray, I want you to say, okay, Christ, you are my life. Therefore, what? And I want you to begin to ponder this and let it sink down into your soul so deeply that it begins to transform you. And it will, it will, it will. It'll change how you look at things. It'll change the decisions you make. The Christian life will start to make sense. Oh, yeah. Because Christ is my life. You may be here today and he isn't your life because you've never received Christ as Savior. If that's the case right now, just in your heart and your mind, say, oh God, that's what I want. I want to receive Christ as my Savior. I put my trust in Christ. I want your life. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you and thank you for this truth that Christ is our life. And, and I do pray, Father, that you help us to deal with the fuzzy part of this, that it's kind of conceptual, almost philosophical. But Lord, help us see it's more than that, that it's reality. It's really, really true that we have no life apart from you. Christ is our life, our all in all. And because of that, then in all things, he ought to have the preeminence. 
So please, Father, this week remind us as, as we stop and pray before we eat, just to think, wait a minute. Christ is my life. Therefore, so what does that mean, Father? What's it mean? What decision do I make now? What do I choose to do? What do I not do? And Lord, help, please, bring our lives into greater focus as we focus on you being our life. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.